This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to Scholarly, a podcast brought to you by the ATS Scholar Journal. Happy to serve as your host today. I'm Rachel Quainey, a pulmonary, critical care, and sleep clinician educator at University of Colorado. Today, we will be discussing the recent ATS Scholar article, Implementing Holistic Review Practices in a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship, written by several members of the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care, Sleep and Physiology at University of California, San Diego, and the Section of Pulmonary and Critical Care at the VA San Diego. I am honored to have the first and senior authors here with me today. Dr. Jacob Bailey was raised in a bicultural home in the Los Angeles area. The circuitous route led him from factory work to construction, and finally to the research laboratory where he was introduced to the field of medicine. His clinical interests include transitions of care for adolescents and young adults with chronic lung disease and the intensive care unit's role in the social safety net. Dr. Jacob Bailey was raised in a bicultural home in the Los Angeles area. A circuitous route led him from factory work to construction and finally to the research laboratory where he was introduced to the field of medicine. His clinical interests include transitions of care for adolescents and young adults with chronic lung disease and the intensive care unit's role in the social safety net. Dr. Bailey earned his Doctor of Medicine from University of California, San Diego School of Medicine and a Master of Arts in Education from University of California, Los Angeles. He completed residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at Los Angeles County and University of Southern California Medical Center, and a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care medicine at UC San Diego. He is now an assistant professor of medicine at UC San Diego, where he serves as assistant director of the program in medical education, health equity, co-director of region 10 California medicine scholars program, and director of the equity and advocacy preclinical concentration. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Next, we have Dr. Dan Crouch. He earned his medical degree at the University of Iowa College of Medicine prior to residency and chief residency in internal medicine at Barnes Jewish Hospital, Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. He went on to do his fellowship training at UC San Diego in pulmonary and critical care medicine, where he is now an associate professor of medicine and serves as the program director of the pulmonary and critical care medicine fellowship program. He has clinical interest in airway disease management and resuscitation medicine, an investigative interest in pulmonary gas exchange physiology and medical education. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. And last, but certainly not least, senior author Dr. Laura Crotty-Alexander completed her undergraduate in medical education at Duke University prior to internal medicine residency at Massachusetts General Hospital, pulmonary and critical care fellowship at Harvard, and a postdoctoral research fellowship in pediatric infectious disease at UC San Diego. She is now associate professor of medicine at UC San Diego and the section chief of pulmonary critical care at the VA San Diego. She conducts basic translational and clinical research looking at the health effects of e-cigarettes, asthma, and lung inflammation in general. Although I would assert that this bio undersells Dr. Crotty Alexander's influence in other realms of medicine and medical education as evidenced by her role in the research we'll be discussing today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And I was thinking exactly the same thing. I was like, oops, I forgot to add in the med-ed research side of things. You really cover all realms of it. As I mentioned, sort of all of the different sciences and then clearly have a track record that the co-authors here today and I know of 
well through ATS for quite some time. So it's truly a pleasure to chat with all of you. Thank you for having Thank us. You. So I would love to just first hear about your project, your paper, Holistic Review Practices in a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship. How did this project come to be? I think um, I'll, I'll start us off. So for those that are well familiar with Holistic Review, this is a practice that's been utilized by institutions in higher education for decades. As a matter of fact, it was one of the key aspects of the first Fisher versus UT Austin case back in the early aughts, 2013, whereby affirmative action was upheld after going through a race-neutral, holistic review. So, so the practice of holistic review is not anything new within higher education, but within undergraduate medical education, it, it gained much more momentum and steam and has been used throughout the country, and then has been making its way into the graduate medical education space. And as I came on as a, as a fellow uh, here to UC San Diego and, and eternally thankful to Dan and Laura for getting me here, you know, this is something that I, so this is something that I'm very passionate about, the spaces of health equity within medicine, justice, diversity, inclusive, inclusivity, helping learners, both those who work within medicine, patients who receive their care feel like they belong. But anyway, so, so as, a, as a fellow here, I have always just been somebody that really pushes these spaces, tries to push these spaces. And just feel very fortunate to be someplace, be at a, to be at a program where leadership was equally receptive and equally ambitious and equally committed to these principles and wanted to move forward. And I still oftentimes reflect back on how it was that I ever convinced Dan to, to, to let me start off in this journey here with, with our program, but you know, very thankful for it. So when I approached him and Laura about holistic review, something that, you know, I bet you if you were to poll fellowship uh, program directors and you were to ask them, are you conducting holistic review as part of your recruitment processes? I bet you probably the more, the majority would say they are, but yet the literature just doesn't, we, we don't open up, we don't talk about those practices and those processes and those refinements. And as a matter of fact, when, when we first started this, there, was, there wasn't any description in the literature of any fellowship program, poem, crit, or otherwise, describing how they actually implemented holistic review, how they went I from- I think that yeah. was the fun part of this, is that Jacob, with his passion, it was very clear to us that this is the space he wanted to work in. And in my conversations with Jacob, he kept using all these words that I didn't know what he was talking about. And he would talk about holistic this and holistic that. And I'm like, Jacob, like what holistic review? I don't understand. Like this wasn't, you know, part of my training. And he had to sit me down and take me through like these concepts. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> this is a lot. And our faculty, like I bet none of them, well, not none of them. I shouldn't say that. I would say 80% probably don't know these terms and 
don't understand these concepts. And I think that really helped us know where we needed to start. So really getting buy-in from the leadership and then sort of designing faculty and fellow training and then taking it to the applicant process. That's fantastic. And to contextualize this a little bit, expanding on what Jacob said for our listeners, holistic review did take off more than a decade ago, but take off is probably a loose term because it started in sort of undergraduate education, undergraduate medical education, and has now made its way to graduate medical education, starting first with residencies and more recently fellowships. But even some reports from the last couple of years say that residency programs actually have a really small utilization of holistic review. At least not that many have a systematic framework approach to it, which I think goes nicely into your program. You decided if we're going to do this, we have to do it systematically. We have to develop a framework, which is exactly what holistic review is built upon and requires. But how do we do that, right? No one else has done that. And so I think contextually, it's a really important time to be thinking about where holistic review has been and where we're going forward with it. For maybe our listeners that because of that aren't as familiar with holistic review. Dan, do you want to talk us through a little bit about how you think of holistic review, what it is, how it contrasts to more traditional recruitment and interviews? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. And a little more credit to Dr. Bailey, you know, when he first approached me with this concept, you know, it was it was an easy sell. You know, he is someone who is incredibly well-read and incredibly passionate about this area. And it didn't take much to convince us that that this was really the way to go. And, you know, holistic review is really is really a concept that I feel over time, or at least I like to think that our recruitment processes has been moving towards over the over the years, you know, to really create an, a fair and equitable process that is looking at training, academic versatility and, and looking at different applicants to serve our communities. And, and I think that's an obligation that us, as a, especially as a public institution and as a, a cornerstone in our own community here, you know, here in San Diego, but even, even more broadly nationally, you know, to offer our training to develop the best of the best in, in whatever that is. And whether that's medical education, uh, whether that's science, whether that's clinical practice, you know, these are all very important things that 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 we focus on in our training program and understand that our fellows who are coming out of our program will enter each of these areas. And it's important to us that we offer that to a variety of people in a, in a really fair and equitable way. And I think that's something that that is critically important to our, our own mission. And so, you know, when I look at this in holistic review, you know, it's it's very conceptual, right? And initially it's very conceptual. And I see holistic review as a very intentional approach to implementing these concepts, right? And, and so, you know, we've always wanted it to be fair. We've always wanted it to be equitable. But how do you how do you do that? Right. And this in this approach that that Jacob and, and Holistic Review has brought to the table has allowed us to do that in a more rapid fashion. And it has made it more transparent and has allowed us to really implement it across the entire recruitment and interview process rather than, you know, each individual person coming up to speed at their own pace. And so this this education, this transparency, this open discussion has really 
fast forwarded things, uh, I, I would say a number of years in terms of, of bringing us uh, to the forefront of what I would say is with recruitment. So um, I'm very excited about it. I'm very happy with, with where we're at now, and I'm excited about the future and where we're going with this. I echo all of that. That's I agree. I think we were headed this way and this just accelerates it and does it in a very intentional manner, an intentional approach to, to recruitment of the various types of, of physicians that you know that you could mentor, you could sponsor, you could develop. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about how you developed the sort of framework. How did you decide this is the way we're going to be intentional? This is the way we're going to discern what our mission is here at UCSD Home Crit. I'm really glad that you that you asked that. And it, the and, and you touched on this very key aspect that I think that oftentimes as individuals or teams or organizations are trying to institute or implement holistic review, uh, you, you, you touched on it yourself, it, it, mission, right? The uh, part of the very core aspect of holistic review is knowing your mission, knowing how the individuals that you are recruiting are going to contribute value to the mission that you are setting forth, the, the missions and values that you're setting forth. And so that was really for us one of the first things that we had to we had to do from the from the get-go. And it was we were very fortunate in that we are at an institution and within a division that thinks about these things and, and is very sort of forward thinking about these things. So we actually had mission statements and discussions around our mission preceding this. Um, and so it made it, to, for me, it made the job easy because I got to take the mission that the mission statements, the values that we had already put forward and said, okay, this is who we are. This is our, these are our mission. This is, these are our missions. These are our goals. Now let's talk about how we get there in a way that is inclusive and in a way that's equitable in a way that leverages all of the individual capabilities and experiences and attributes. And yes, all of the other things that people look at when they're, when they're looking at a, at a, at an ERAS application, right? How do, we, how do we take all of that together to then form an in a, a team each year that helps us achieve those missions and gets us closer to where we want to be? That's fantastic. So you are at a place that already had a mission and so it necessarily didn't feel like the biggest burden to identify, you know, where you are, what your mission, what your goals are. However, you did have some interesting barriers. If I read correctly, it looks like it was during COVID. There was probably a lot of virtual things happening. There were unique barriers. And so did you run into anything that was unexpected with getting buy-in from stakeholders, establishing that mission, or sort of then defining how you get there? I can jump in on this. 
I think when we originally met, so Jacob and I did a lot of brainstorming up front before we took it broader and just wanted to reiterate what Dan and Jacob said that, you know, we have fantastic leadership, a lot of support here. So Jess Mandel is our division chief and he's been in the med ed space for a long time, which, you know, definitely made it easier for us. And I think our first barrier was really getting buy-in across the division. And I think there was a bit of fear involved because processes had been in place for years and years and years, and this is the way it's done. And just a bit of worry about you know, how interested and excited people would be about adopting these new practices. And as Jacob said, you know, by bringing together the faculty as a whole and having a session where we put the mission statement up on a screen and had them uh, chime in actually electronically. So using our technology in the COVID uh, space actually worked great because people could text in like the words that they associated with our mission and what we valued the most. And Jacob created these word clouds, and it just became very clear that our values were extremely common and very similar across the faculty and the fellows. And that worked to bring us together in thought and spirit. And so once we all felt like, yes, we're on the same team, we have the same goals, and you know we're ready to embrace some new paths forward, I think that was a, a big first hurdle. And once we went over it, there was a lot of energy and excitement about moving forward. That's fantastic. It's just a really good example of buy-in can sort of come at various parts of your process, depending on depending on what is going on. And so I would have never considered that just getting everyone on the same page with the mission, using your word clouds, et cetera, would sort of create that teamwork approach, create that buy-in. I thought it was really interesting reading your article about the makeup of who reviews applicant files, who does the interviewing, but then who all was asked to participate in your study. So who was asked to participate in developing your mission, developing next steps, et cetera. And so it seems like from outsider's perspective, and Dan, you can probably speak to this more, that the fellows are given a priority. This is, while they're not necessarily the faculty doing the interviews, they're what they see as their current mission, what they see as the future is really given some good value and prioritized. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is this is something we take a lot of pride in just in general in our division, which is our fellowship program and our fellows. You know, this is a big source of pride for all of us in the division. And we take their input incredibly seriously. And so we know that a lot of them come in with their own experiences and, and their own perspectives. And we know that, frankly, they are the future of this of this field and, and this and this environment. And so it only makes sense that, that we bring them in and, and, and give them the opportunity to, to have input. And, and certainly, you know, they contribute a great deal to, to the functionality of our division, but, but also to the vision. And so this, that's something that's really important, important to us. And I thought, interestingly enough, in, in the end, you know, with some of the data, a lot of them had suggested that maybe it didn't change their view on, on how we approached recruitment. And I think a lot of that has to do with 
they're already in that space, right? These, they have already been this forward thinking and the culture now, you know, has really moved towards trying to eliminate some of these or a lot of these structural biases that are in place. And that's the beginning of the movement, right? And, and I know it's been in place and we've been doing this for a long time, but, you know, I think this really reflects that there is some success in this area and, uh, and we'll only continue to see it as new generations come through this process. Absolutely. I think our future generations of physicians are just absolutely incredible and inspiring and excited to see them all come along. To expand a little bit in case any of our listeners have not yet had the chance to read the paper, Dan was referencing some really nice figures, figure one, and fellows and faculty were asked to respond to a question. Do you think focused sessions on holistic review and anti-bias training influenced which applicants were invited to interview and how they were ranked? Options mean yes, maybe, or no. And 50% of the fellow respondents said neutral or maybe. 30% said no, that they disagreed that it had an impact. And 20% said agree or yes. And exactly like you said, Dan, I think there's a lot of different ways you could split this. Does that mean they have a negative bias and they think that, you know, oh, this didn't do anything, it didn't change? Or is that they have already seeing changes go into place, right? And so I think this would be a really interesting area as I read these things. I can't help but think of future studies of like a qualitative, asking them to like really saturate, like see what what are what are you coming to this with? Did you already know about holistic review? Was this already something that you just assumed was, was done everywhere versus the faculty? And then like, what are you really meaning by this? And so I thought that was really interesting perception from the fellows. And yeah, they just have, I, I bet more of your fellows knew about this holistic review earlier than I did at least. Yeah, certainly agree. I think, I think that is something that we have definitely discussed and, and would be very interesting to, to dive deeper into. I was curious reading this, thinking about all the work that has to go into defining the mission, you know, changing, evaluating rubrics for your file review, your interview. How often on average do you think before this that you were doing that? Was it every couple of years? Was it every decade? What was the interval? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say, you know, this is a process that we look at every single year. You know, every time recruitment season comes back around is an opportunity for us to get together and have a discussion about the processes, about our our approach. And and that's how it really has developed over the years. And, and we have made changes along the way. But I will I will also say that that sort of the the delta each year was probably fairly small. And, you know, while, while there was changes along the way, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't dramatic. And um, this, this really, you know, creates a landmark time for us and our program. While it didn't uproot everything that we did, it certainly skewed our, our trajectory and and it really changed things in a, in a positive manner and, and put us on a different trajectory. And the fact that, you know, how do we, view applicants? How are we approaching the review and interview process? What are the things that we need to focus on? What are the things that we value and matching those up? And, and those are the things that we really uncovered, you know, with this process was that 
you know, the things that we're valuing may not be the things that we're sort of giving credit for when we're going through our process. And so really aligning those things better has been, I think, the greatest thing that has come out of this. And I think the downstream results of that are, are going to be, you know, the, the people that we recruit and the makeup of our division in the future. And, and I think we're going to see that as time goes on. Also to add to that and touching back on, on that same figure, right, is I had the tremendous privilege of being able to work on this starting as a fellow and now getting to be a part of this as a faculty member. And that viewpoint is a big shift. It's a big difference. Not only because of the amount of time that you get to be within an institution instead of an individual, instead of an organization, and see the way that the sort of the way that history and changes play out, but it's the it's the reality that faculty there are conversations and and discussions on the back end for every one small change that's made. It's a big it has potential impacts across a, a much larger space, and so the conversations are very different between faculty and and fellows and. And perhaps that might be part of the difference in perception as far as how much this, how much this posed a shift rather than a drift from previous iterations of the way that we were doing our selection and recruitment. And I think that also it goes, it also speaks to the initial question as well, which is how is it that this started up? The, the fact that we have Dan in leadership here, Laura and others that take this so tremendously seriously and to, to heart our processes and, and how we institute them, that they are looking at them on a perpetual basis. It, it provides an environment and a, an ecosystem, if you will, to be able to make these changes and perhaps disrupt a little bit or, 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 or make these shifts when they're called for. I think, yeah, you hint on like the safe space that we have and our overarching goal as a team to always strive to be the best at everything that we do, including a fellowship collection in a holistic way. That's fantastic. You could, you know, hear what Dan said about this is a, you know, a big shift, some more effort required for to make this transition. And you could see the fact that, you know, majority of the fellows and faculty say that they'll need refresher materials on holistic review and anti-bias training every year or every recruitment cycle and potentially get a little down on the possibility. But my takeaway amongst all of this is the fact that when asked if holistic review improves the, your fellowship recruitment and selection process, the majority of faculty and fellows said yes, 66.7% of faculty and 90% of fellows agreeing about that. So clearly, despite the asks, despite the work that went into it, it is still viewed favorably, which I think in addition to all of the data we have from undergraduate education, undergraduate medical education, et cetera, shows that this is the future of our recruitment processes. That's right. And, and, I, and I do think, you know, while 
these concepts are stu still fairly new, you know, I think it's it's really important that the messaging is clear. And, you know, we we learn this a lot in other areas of medicine. And certainly we have a very successful resuscitation medicine program here. And part of that success is recurrent, repeated messaging. Education is a big piece of this. And, and continuing to have this discussion and keeping this discussion on the table is only going to move it forward even, even faster and make sure that these concepts, until they just become second nature and inherent, are going to be part of our active thought process when we're going through our recruitment. I love that. Messaging is clear and consistent and repetitive, right? We all know that within the education field, we know that within the QI. So these are really important things. And, you know, there's studies showing that just awareness of stereotypes and biases doesn't necessarily mitigate anything and it actually worsens those things, but it's the, it's the work, it's the anti-bias training, it's the very intentional use of frameworks and metrics such as this that in the long term will make the big difference. So I already said my takeaways. Do you all have any takeaways from your study, from your, your experience doing the study, things that you want people to learn from your paper, things that you want other people to know before they take this on at their own program? I would say a couple of things that I learned is one, bring in an expert in the space. And again, we were super lucky that we already had Jacob as a fellow and he was already an expert and it was just fantastic. But I would say the really understanding the basics and then you know how to take it to the next level is just absolutely critical. And the second takeaway is that open conversations with your group, your community, you know, is always going to be helpful to uncover like what are people worried about what are people fearful of and like bringing those things into the light allowing people to question is this a good thing or are we actually going to push it the wrong direction and having those very open conversations just makes everything better and leads to you know the outcomes that you're more likely to to want to have I echo those, and, and thank you for those kind words, Laura, but I, I echo those those statements, and, you know, as for those institutions and those programs that are looking to use holistic review to advance their diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, the only way that holistic review will be successful for them in that is if those principles are truly core aspects of their missions, right? They have to be values that are uh, core to the mission of that institution or of that group. Otherwise, the mismatch only can make things, you know, it can, it can only make things more difficult. But it, it really works when you're aligning your core values and missions together with your practices and merging them with the other efforts, the anti-bias training, the you know, other anti-racist frameworks, whether it's racism frameworks or liberative pedagogies or, or other educational frameworks that really attack at some of the systematic aspects um, of this. So. Right now, I'll just take a second to say a couple of uh, 
supporting statements to, to what they just both said, but also one other statement, which I think is important because I think it does create a little bit of a, a barrier to adopting this. But first, I think just to reiterate, I, I also agree that, you know, identifying, you know, your mission and your goals of, of your division, your program is, is really a great place to start. And then to really open that discussion, what's important to everybody, because you you may be more in line than, than what you think. And what the important piece of this is, and, and what this process has done for us, especially is, is linking your processes with your mission, right? And your vision. And, and that's the part that makes us all feel good is when, when we're, when we're, when our processes match what we're trying to achieve and, and we'll be more effective that way. And, and so I think that's something that really essential as, as you're starting something like this up in, in your own program. And I think the one thing that I'll, I will say just regarding holistic review in general is, is really it's meant to identify applicants with, with tremendous promise. Um, these folks are well accomplished and, and may have been overlooked for different, for different reasons. If we use sort of old metrics or, or things that don't identify certain things that we should be looking at, the things that we value in terms of character and empathy and compassion and leadership and, and some of these things that, that aren't as tangible by a number or a location. And it's not a, it's not a forum to, to compromise anything. We're not compromising talent or anything of that of that nature, but rather we're identifying candidates and applicants with, with really great potential to have amazing impacts on various communities all over the country and, and potentially worldwide, whether that's an academic, a scientific, a private community, uh, a clinical practice. Um, there's so many needs out there and a lot of amazing people. And, and, that's, and that's what we're trying to open our eyes to and, and be a part of that bigger mission. I can't think of a better way to end this. That was beautiful. Thank you all for taking the time to join me today. It was truly my pleasure. Thanks as always to our listeners. You can find Drs. Bailey, Couch, and Crotty Alexander's article, Implementing Holistic Review Practices in a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship on the ATS Scholar website at atsjournals.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Scholarly, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day.